welcome back to yet another week of Behind the Lens, kicking off the month of May already. Can you believe it? I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers, the shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the directors, the writers, the cinematographers, the actors, the production designers, costume designers, film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, composers, choreographers, you name it, we talk to them. Now, if you're tuning in, you'll notice I'm not in studio today. I am pre-recording this at about midnight at night. Uh, we had to do some rejiggering of things. Our anticipated guest uh, is unable to join us today because she is actually in Rome right now. So after much jiggering, um, I'm pre-recording this one in order to do another interview during what would be our live on-air time. And you'll be hearing that in the future, and it's a secret right now who it is. But I'm very excited about what I've put together for today's show. Two pre-recorded interview, exclusive interviews with filmmakers whom I adore. Every time you hear them talk about a project, and particularly our first interview that you'll hear, Andy Fickman. I have known Andy for many years, and he is truly one of the happiest people I have ever known. Andy is always a joy. That joy comes through in his films, such as You Again, The Game Plan, Race to Witch Mountain, Parental Guidance, and more recently, Heather's The Musical. Now he has another film out, One True Loves. It is sweet. It is charming. It tugs at the heartstrings. And not to spoil anything, but it has a happy ending. I always love speaking with Andy and talking to, with him about One True Loves is no different. The film is the story of three people. Uh, it's, a, it's based on Taylor Jenkins' read, uh, the book, and it has been adapted by Taylor and Alex Jenkins' read. Andy Fickman directs the film stars Simu Liu, who you all know from Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, Philip Asu from Hamilton, and Luke Bracey from A Multiplicity of Things. And it's basically the story of Emma is our main central character here. As she and Jesse, who is played by Luke Bracey, are living the perfect life together. But then Jesse disappears in a tragic helicopter crash on their first wedding anniversary. Four years later, Emma has now found happiness again and is about to marry her basically childhood best friend who is played by Simu Liu, uh, Sam. He's a music teacher, has a stable job, and she appears just as happy with him as she was with Jesse. However, Jesse suddenly resurfaces. And needless to say, everything gets turned upside down, not only for Jesse and Sam, but more importantly for Emma, because... She loves both of them. They are each her true love. How will this play out? Well, you'll have to see the movie. Or if you've read the book, you know how it plays out. Uh, 
And what Andy has done from a directorial standpoint is just absolutely beautiful. Uh, we have a lot of flashbacks, and it's edited so beautifully. Jeff Freeman is the editor on this one, and he has done an amazing job because this is a tricky one. This film is a tricky one when you're cutting it because of the time differentials, the past, the present, uh, showcasing each relationship. And it all comes down to Philippa's performance and her emotional range in terms of how each relationship is, the differences and the similarities. The cinematographer is Andy reteamed with Greg Gardner, who shot Game Plan for him, Race to Witch Mountain. Uh, Greg is also known for Elf. And here again, it's very important to have a visual tonal bandwidth that is visually and tonally light and bright. And this is maintained through the film. We are never bogged down. Production design is absolutely amazing. And the performances are fabulous. Supporting Simu, Luke, and Philippa, Tom Everett Scott, who shows up in a lot of Andy Fickman movies, Michaela Conlin, Beth Broderick, who many of you will remember from Sabrina the Teenage Witch on TV. Always nice to see her show up. The film is set in Acton, Massachusetts, but it was filmed in North Carolina in one of the most charming little towns you're going to want to move there when you see this movie, let me tell you. But Andy and I dig into it all in this interview, uh, including the score and the decision to use an excerpt of Debussy. And most of you will recognize the Debussy music that gets interwoven into the score as from, coming from the Oceans movies. Uh, but, so, without any further ado... Take a listen to my exclusive interview with Andy Fickman. Hi, how are you? Andy, is that you, my friend? It is. How you doing, stranger? It's us again. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> I'm so excited. You know, we really have to stop meeting like this. We have to start doing I, things in person again. Because I don't use the Zoom link on the computer. I just dial in on a phone. Uh, I'll give it to you because I like you. Well, gee, thanks. After all the love that I gave to Heather's The Musical, you should. Yeah, that is true. That <laughs> is true. Keep and it going. Keep it going. You know I have been in your corner forever. So. I appreciate Well, I hope this movie puts a smile on your face as well. Well, it put a big smile on my face, Andy. And I got to tell you, the biggest smile I got, though, I'm watching it in the bookstore, and all of a sudden I see the Nicholas Sparks, the best of me, and you've got Luke Bracey standing there, and Luke was in the best of me, the movie that version. That is correct. You are catching all of my Easter eggs. I... You always throw in Easter eggs, Andy. And I saw that, and I just started laughing. I was just tickled to death that you went that deep into, you know, inside 
literature and film. <laughs> I references in there as well. Uh, yes, there were. But that one was just so blatant and all I can th all I have to wonder is how many people are actually going to pick up on that. Because I hope that's, that's always my favorite thing with Easter eggs is I always hope someone someone like you who catches it I like and it and that moment you smile that's that's what I want from audiences. Actually Having that one particular scene, Andy, with the Nicholas Sparks shelves and the Nicholas Sparks books and Luke standing there, what is so cool about that is that this film very much falls in line with the same kind of emotions you get in a Nicholas Sparks book or movie. Yeah, I, I was, I'm such a, a fan of, of Nicholas Sparks and John Green, and by the time... Uh, uh, my producing partner, Betsy Sullinger, handed me Taylor Jenkins Reid's book. I read it, and I just, I think I read it and, you know, couldn't put it down. And I was like, we have to make this movie. And so getting to know Taylor, uh, who also wrote the screenplay with her husband, Alex. And so that world is such, you know, I felt honored to be able to jump into the that world and that universe that has a... Uh, a strong fan base, uh, and so I hope that uh, people will watch the movie and want to read the book and like it all. And I've read I read the Reed's book before, so yeah. to, to I, see the adaptation now, I really like it. I like the balance that the screenplay has. We've got more of a balance of the past and the present. Yeah, that was really important. Thank you for pointing that out. That was really important is that a lot of the book is a lot of it's in Emma's head and uh, and how it's told story-wise. And I think our goal and certainly Taylor and Alex's goal was how do we find the balance of Emma with Jesse and Emma with Sam and give both stories equal weight and importance and try to tell it in an interesting manner. So that's really what we were able to do on screen. Well, you really succeeded. And the thing is, is you don't get one without the other. You, yeah. you ha so you need to strike that balance and equal out the, the weight of importance. And I think you really succeeded with that. Definitely from a visual standpoint, Andy. I really appreciate that. I love the visuals here. I love the montages. You know I like montages. I, <laughs> and you have some really beautiful ones in here. Well, we, were, we were really lucky because we filmed the uh, majority of the movie we filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina, and we found in that community and uh, outlying areas, we were kind of able to go around the world. And uh, and because we were so blessed with an amazing cast and crew, visuals really become so important. And Greg Gardner, who uh, a DP that I've had the pleasure of working with from uh, She's the Man and Game Plan and Race to Witch Mountain, we've, we've just had a long history together, and he just fell in love with the book the minute he read it, and I knew visually uh, we'd be able to create something special. Well, I was tickled to see that you reteamed with Greg, having Greg as your DP, because he has such a way with the camera with movies that are lighter. And 
you and Greg together, you keep your visual tonal band with light and bright. So oh, thanks. You know, we speak a, a, very much the same language, which we learned, I think, on She's the Man. Mm -hmm. We had similar tastes in film. And when we would talk over the weekends endlessly about what we were shooting, you know, the upcoming week, he and I were, are just so visual and would send each other pictures and go out to locations and take our cameras and sort of videotape things for each other. Uh, so it's really wonderful to have a partner like that that uh, speaks that language. And he just truly is a stunningly great DP. You don't do anything fancy with the camera work. It's very, no, it's you, simple. You put the, 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 hopefully the fanciness is the story. Yes. And the actors. And you want the camera to love them. And if you can pull that off, then that's a great place to start. Well, and what you also do that is so necessary for this film is we really have to love acting. We have to understand the appeal and the, and the draw of Acton for Emma and her family yeah, and her I roots. You, I love you saying that because from the very beginning I felt uh, not only in reading the book, but Taylor is from Acton. It's the, she set the book in her hometown. Mm -hmm. And so I felt beholden that Acton should be a character in the book. Yeah. And that really is such a part, a character on the film, that's such a part of storytelling you know, you have to make choices, all of us do. Do we stay where we, you know, where we grew up? Do we bloom where we're planted? Or do we feel the calling to leave and do we come back? And uh, and so I, I thought it was a really interesting way to look at how we grow in life and how we look at sort of our hometown environment. And this truly is the embodiment of, you know, small town Americana, the place that you want to be in. There's a warmth, there's a gentility about it. Yeah. You know, yeah, as Taylor sent me photos. I had so many questions about Acton, and, and it really is, you know, down the road from Walden Pond. And she sent me pictures growing up, and it was idyllic. I mean, it really was the thing that you look at and go, oh. That was beautiful. It, because you build up Acton as a character here, it really works so well, Andy, because, okay, we see Michaela's, Michaela Conlon's character. We have Marie. And, of course, you've got Tom Everett Scott back. you got to have Tom in your film. And so we've got, Mar we've got Marie and Michael with this great settled home life there. On top of Marie and Emma's parents, the Blairs, who have the little local bookshop that's in a house which is just, I think, adorable beyond belief. So we get that whole sense, and then we see Emma and Jesse go off globetrotting, but then you understand completely why she feels so much at home when she returns there after Jesse's disappearance. Yeah, you know, it's always interesting. I Growing up in Texas, I, so many of my friends have never left Texas, and I always understood why. And when I left, truly the day I graduated from college, I left and went to Los Angeles. And But to this day, when I get a chance to go back to Texas, I love it because it still represents home. Yeah. It represents childhood memories. It represents safety. And I think for a lot of people, 
July, we were filming our Netflix series, The Crew, and when we were shut down for a break, we came to Rochester, Minnesota, where she grew up, um, and uh, where my mother-in-law is, and was by herself, and we thought, oh, we have a toddler, let's come here and hang out. Then, they, you know, everybody was like, you're going to be a two-week break, and that didn't happen, obviously, And but we... It was so much fun. We've sort of planted roots here. We still have our office in Los Angeles, and I'm still kind of travel wherever I have to go for the show. But ultimately, to see my wife connect back with Minnesota and her her childhood memories has been really special. Aww. And so there is something, I think, for all of us, uh, or most of us, I'm sure there are people who are very happy to never look back in their rear view the minute they leave their hometown. But for those who can recapture it or those who see it, there is something really nice. And I certainly see it now with our daughter that she's experiencing things that my wife experienced when she was her age. Oh. So uh, I think that really guided me a lot in making the movie. I think something like that has guided you for the majority of your films, Andy, because at the heart of all of your films, you look at, you know, you again, the game plan, Race to Witch Mountain, parental guidance. These films, there's always hearth and home and the being and the want of a family and the creation of a family comes through in all of your films. Uh, I appreciate that. You know, my, my father passed away when I was 16, and it forever changed my life. And I think the I think consciously and subconsciously and in my work, I try to address when it's, when it's possible that relationship of, you know, holding on to it while you have it, not wanting to lose it, the, you know, all of that probably does drive me when I read a script to think, did I respond to that uh, in some way, shape, or form? Mm -hmm. How tough was the edit on this one, Andy? Because of f trying to find that balance, not just in story, but visually with the past and the present. Yeah, it was challenging. I mean, we were lucky that between Taylor's book and Taylor and Alex's screenplay that a lot of that was laid out. But you really don't know... It's how it's going to work from a storytelling element till you're an editorial. And we definitely moved, you know, pieces along the chessboard to different spots because we thought, well, let's hold that information back or no, I need that information or that's too much information. And we always knew we were not going to tell a linear story. That was the most important thing mm -hmm. that we all accepted. And it was also somewhat difficult because even though you're shooting out of order, even from a script standpoint, a lot of times an actor the night before can go back and go, okay, we're filming these four pages, but this is where I feel emotionally the five pages before that. Here, that's not necessarily true. You had to go through backwards and forwards, both the script and the book to know, and the discussions we'd have to know how is Emma feeling right now how is Sam feeling right now? How is Jesse feeling right now in the family? So it was it was definitely a challenge. Jeff Freeman, uh, my amazing editor on uh, Reefer Madness that we did for Showtime, mm -hmm. Jeff and I got to reunite, and he's just so, so smart and strong. Uh, and we just stopped every day and would be like, does that make sense? And by the time we showed it to cast and got their notes and to tailor 
one place where it was easy to take a note and go, that, great, let's move that scene, two scenes up and see if it lands any better. So uh, it was far more challenging, I think, than I even imagined it would be. Correct me if I'm wrong, but editing at that 54-minute mark where we have Sam breaking down in his classroom with the students, that had to be yeah. one of the toughest edits because the monologue that Simu goes through is, and the emotion that he's conveying and the frustration, and it's very much akin to what his, his orchestra students, what teens would go through or, you know, collegiate students in their 20s. But right. it's like, where do you even break that as he's so, yeah, and going back is, and ba back and forth? Just amazing. Yeah, I think one of the things that was also amazing was Simu and majority, other than our core actors in that scene, the majority of those were real uh, uh, musicians from uh, Wilmington, uh, youth musicians who came out and helped comprise our orchestra. But the long version, you know, we shot Simu doing the long version uh, without trying to break it up because, so you had this beautiful theatrical monologue that, you know, we used to say when Simu was done that day, we said, I could probably just put that out by itself as a short film and people would just be wowed. And he, it was, he just brought so much amazing energy to it. And, uh, but yeah, we would look in and say, where's the moment of information? Uh, and you're trying to keep two stories alive, which is also really difficult because Emma with Sam is not the same as Emma with Jesse. Mm -hmm. And so that means that, that the time where Sam is also by himself, it's a lot of what happens in your mind when you think, what is going on with my fiance at this very moment? And I think we were just so so lucky to have this cast because in with lesser actors, you're, I'm not sure that you would have had those points where you felt comfortable cutting away. And here, performance after performance, Simu just nailed it. Well, talk about performance. I mean, Philippa as Emma, we see two complete uh, two sides of the coin, two totally different individuals is what she gives us. The Emma with, yeah. with Jesse, the Emma with Sam. Her performance is amazing to see such a visible, emotional, striking difference. Just outstanding. Uh, thank you. You know, I met with so many actors for this part. Philippa was the last person I, I met. And I texted everybody and I said, I just talked to Emma. And she really, you know, where... Luke was on half the schedule, and Seema was on half the schedule. Emma had, I think... <laughs> She's in everything. Emma had maybe, maybe one day off the whole time. And every day was coming back in and determining who she was, what a layer of emotion. She is such a profoundly stunning actress and so self-assured and really cared about Emma and and spoke constantly to myself and Taylor and Alex from a script standpoint about, are we pushing Emma enough here? Should Emma say this? Should Emma? And uh, every day on set was going to be a challenge for her because she wasn't, she had these two, as you said, she had two very distinct stories to tell uh, and, 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 and had to be 
I love what you did with hair and makeup because when she's with Sam, she's got a part in the middle of her hair. When she's with Jesse, the part is off to the side. So yeah, we really wanted there to be a sense of freedom. <laughs> You know, if Jesse represents a period in her life that was one type of freedom, and Sam uh, represents a rebirth period in her life, you know, we, and Taylor, you know, addresses it in the book as well, but it was that sense of how do we make change? How do we, how do, you know, it's that moment after a breakup where somebody cuts their hair or, you know, gets a new wardrobe or all of a sudden they're like, I just got a new car. Everything different to sort of be a new person. And so we found that that was really interesting from an acting standpoint as well, because those those clues were things that Philippa could work with, but also that Luke and Simu could work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I picked up on that right away, and I'm like, clever, Andy, clever. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I would be remiss not to ask you about, you re-team with Nathan again for the score. I love the score. It's beautiful. It's subtle. It's sweet. And then you punctuate it. You had to bring in Debussy. You just had to bring that in. I mean, everybody knows that, not from Debussy, but from the Oceans movies. But that is just, and that scene where we first hear it and, he's con and Sam is conducting the orchestra and the way he's conducting that is a piece that you can play with joy or with sorrow, with heartbreak. Yeah. And you really demonstrate by using that particular piece of music. Uh, it really covers the gamut uh, of emotions. Uh, much credit to Simu, who is a brilliant musician. That is all him playing. And we talked about various music and, and what to play and... And immediately he dove in and was learning. So uh, it's one of the rare times in filming where I put the camera on the piano and we covered it live. And a lot of times you kind of deaden that piano because you're going to put in post yeah. somebody playing the music. And that is all Simu. And uh, I just I was so impressed. But it is about the music and it is about that feeling. You know, I... I clearly, Nathan, is a, as a composer, is a partnership that has, has been together since Reaper Madness. A few times we've separated uh, for timing and other things, but, but for the most part, you know, Nathan really just uh, always hears the movie and then dives in and is such a joy to work with. That uh, And this movie does have a musicality to it, mm -hmm. uh, thanks to all of them. Yeah, it really does, and I like the fact that we've got Sam as a music teacher and, you know, orchestra, works with the with the school orchestra. Yeah. Because there's the whole idea of books and music. Books and music go together, yeah. and... It, the, it really is. There's something, so I'm still such a Luddite that I, I, I really, anytime someone sends me a script... Online, the first thing I do, you know, is I want to print it because I still need the tactile feeling of, yep. hey, I like to turn the pages. Yep. Uh, I still love a book, and as much as I have all of my online reader opportunities, I'll stop at that bookstore and pick up a book. 
because I still love turning pages. Oh. Go with music, I want to, I still love the, I love a good album. I still love putting it on the stereo and listening. Something about that needle hitting vinyl that just still makes me smile. Yes, well, we're of the same mindset. It's, I cannot read a book online. I have to actually physically hold the book. When I do yeah. when I do script analysis for some, uh, you know, producers, uh, I have to print it out. I have to print it out. And I totally understand that. I always love talking to you, Andy. So what's coming quickly? What's coming up next for you? So I know what to gauge when we're going to talk again. <laughs> well, well, right now we're out promoting uh, Heather's the musical stage capture, which is currently on Roku. Uh, in the UK, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be out in movie theaters in UK and Ireland, uh, and the show is still running both at the other palace and now our UK and Ireland second tour for Hathers is out, where I just was all uh, prepping it the whole time. Uh, so we are uh, thrilled uh, to be bringing more Heathers to the world. I, f I, I just love Heathers. You know that. I just love Heathers the Musical. But this one, One True Loves, this is so sweet, so charming. Oh, thank you. And I really, I fell in love with this film, Andy. Oh, uh, tell everybody that. I would so appreciate it. You know I will. <laughs> thank you, Andy, and we'll chat soon. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And as if the happiness and energy of Andy Fickman isn't enough to start your day. Now you're going to hear from two new fi filmmakers I just became acquainted with and I adore. Garo Setian, his wife Anahit, who is also an actress. They're both producers. Uh, Garo is director, co-writer, and an editor uh, on this film, Space Wars, The Quest for Deep Star. This is a fun, fun film. We have a father-daughter father space cowboys who were on a mission. They, uh, Kip Corman and his daughter Taylor, Kip's wife is dead. But there is something set in the future, some elixir that can bring her back. And they are desperate to get this. But they've got to go through a lot of enemies, a lot of space monsters, uh, creatures, uh, sandworms, creatures, and a Manx, which is really funny, uh, and played by Jed Rowan. But it, it, it's just fun. Practical effects galore. The visual effects that complement the practical effects are really fun. Uh, this is everything that you could want in a low-budget sci-fi film but that looks and feels like the middle-range budget films that seem to be missing in the landscape today. Either we've got low, low budget or tentpole. This is a film that definitely fits in that middle range that we desperately need, but we're not seeing. The film stars, in addition to Garo, writing, directing, editing, Anahit is also a producer along with Garo. Uh, she also plays... Jackie, the character that steals the show every time she is on on screen. She brings heart and humor to the film. 
And as you will hear, joy, every time she speaks, joy and happiness come out of her mouth. It's wonderful. And we see it on screen, too. The film stars Michael Perea as Kip Corman, Sarah French Taylor, uh, Sarah French is his daughter Taylor, Tyler Gallant plays Wade, uh, Oliver Olivier Griner plays Dykstra, who and we got a father son he, thing here between Dykstra and Wade. Then we have the villain of all villains out to get the Cormans. Uh, Elnora, who is played so over the top by Sadie Katz. She is divine. She is delicious. The cinematographer is Michael Sue. Production designer Anthony Pierce. A great, great job here. Visual effects are headed up by Steve Clark and his team. Creature effects, Jeff Farley and his team, do some great work. And with the creature effects and the visual effects, there is so much homage paid to all those sci-fi films that we love, so love. Um, I think you're, that's going to be half the fun for you when you watch the film. And of course, there's a beautiful score that is, works wonderfully with this film from Joel Christian Goffin. So, I got to speak with Garo and Anahit at the same time, which was an absolute joy because they feed off of each other. This is not only a marriage, but it's a professional collaboration, and these two truly are partners. They can finish each other's thoughts, sentences. They have, and it just comes across on screen as well. Just two more amazing filmmakers that make you feel happy when you talk to them. I think that's the theme of today's show is happiness. Filmmakers that definitely make me happy. And I think that as you hear all of them today, Andy Fickman and then Garo, uh, and Garo and Anahit, I think you're all going to agree too. So take a listen to my exclusive interview with Garo Setian, Anahit Setian talking Space Wars, The Quest for Deep Star, which is available digitally tomorrow. Uh-oh, I hear two voices. Are you both here? We are. Hello. How are you? I'm fine, Gara. I am so excited to get to speak with both of you about Space Wars. <laughs> Thanks Thank for you. taking the time to talk to us. Oh, my God. I've been bugging Clint since March. Oh, he's so sweet. <laughs> he... Yeah, even I th I don't even think Clint had had made it official to send it out to press yet. Uh -huh. And I fell in love with it. This is such a fun fun movie. And you, my dear Anahit, you steal the film. You steal the show. Oh, how sweet of you. Thank you. And you pronounce my name beautifully. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Your character of Jackie is what fills this film with heart and humor and keeps us very grounded in sensibility and matter-of-fact practicability. Yes. Uh, Jackie is just, every time you're on screen, you just light up the scene. Oh, bless you. <laughs> uh, that is nice to hear. 
That just tickled me to no end. You are perfect to fill in that emotional gap that Michael and Sarah's characters of Kip and Taylor have. And you really complete that whole familial idea. And this is a testament, Garo, to this story and to the construct. Because this really is, while it's a fun... We've got dad and daughter space cowboys out there in the universe. And meeting all the cool monsters with some really cool practical and visual effects happening. It's all about that family connection. Even right. even so much between the characters of Wade and Dykstra. Yep. Yeah. You really got the film. Yeah. I'm so pleased. Yes. I. It always means a lot to a filmmaker when people totally line up with what you know we were attempting to do. So thank you. This reminds me. Space Wars reminds me of the Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers serials. Oh yep. really? That's, yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. You know and. Uh, you know, Joe wrote a great script, and, you know, uh, th this was sort of like the dream project for us. This is the kind of film we've always wanted to make, you know, and, you know, you'd be intimidated by this, you know, you know, some years ago to attempt anything. I mean, it's still insane to try and do a sci-fi adventure on the kind of budget we did, but um, I was pretty confident we'd be able to pull this off because it was all really designed carefully around, you know, what we could do. And do well. Yeah. Well, and that's just it. That's one thing. The visual effects are so well done. But it's the creatures, the sandworms, the creatures, and a Manx even. My God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jed Rowan, yeah. He was wonderful as Manx. We love him. Yeah. The effects, those were all done by uh, Stephen Clark and uh, Paul Knott. And uh, they work out of England. They tend to work on a lot of asylum movies. But uh, we had a lot of time to work with them on this because, you know, I was like in the process of editing the movie. You know, I, th I think I sent them like the first 30 minutes of the movie. Uh -huh. and, and the moment they saw it, they're like, we're on board. We're going to do this. You know, they, they just loved the Saturday afternoon kind of quality yeah. of the movie. And they, they were like, you know, we always get approached about like sci-fi movies and we get excited and then it's another giant shark movie or something you know what i mean but we were doing more of the space movie and that's something they always wanted to do so they were very excited and, and uh, so easy to work with oh they were fabulous you know it was great what's so exciting about space wars is this fills a void for sci-fi fans who like the old as, as michael has said in interviews already it reminded him of lost in space um, yep. We don't have anything like that. We go to the extreme with the high-gloss, high-tech, VFX, CGI of the Star Wars franchise or yep. the Star Trek franchise, be it on the big or small screen. But we don't really have anything that's in the middle. That, exactly. that we and don't that, have any... You know, when I saw Star Wars when I was seven years old in the theater, yes, it blew me away. I, I actively loved all the original Star Wars movies. I loved the prequels. But yeah. um, the, the thing is, like, I also loved all those other movies that came out in the aftermath of Star Wars. At the time, critics would dismiss things like Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, or Crawl, or Battle Beyond the Stars, or Star They would just dismiss them right. as ripoffs. But to me, it was just, you know, other adventures, you know, or the 
1980 Flash Gordon, and and I liked that. I liked that there were other worlds to explore and different universes to play in, and. Um, it's almost nice to clean your palate a little bit. Yeah. Go somewhere else, you know? Yeah, well, you, you feel like today everything is the same franchise, you know? And we've seen Star Wars. We've seen, you know, Star Trek. And again, I love the original Star Trek. Absolutely love yep. it. And there's a lot of inspiration from it. Um, so none of this is a criticism of those things. It's just... There should be more, though, you know, and yeah. uh, that's what we were trying to do. We want to be that other thing, you know, that, <laughs> that, that, that people get to see. Because I think sci-fi fans want to explore different worlds, you know. They, they're not, they don't want everything to be the same, you know. Well, and what you keenly do here is when you're on the original um, Star Trek, you know, the, yeah. Will, the William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy Star Trek, because so many of the effects and the creatures you have here... Just as in Lost in Space, they're yeah. very they're very practically done. And we have sandworms that everybody thinks sandworms, now they think Dune. No, how yeah. about going back to Tremors? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yes. That's one of Anahit's favorite movies yes, right there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, we yeah, we really just tried to make you know, the creature's really wild and crazy. I mean, uh, again, you know, Steve is a, a really talented animator and, uh, you know, he, he, you know, brought these things to life in a way that was reminiscent of stop-motion animation creatures or Godzilla movies and things. You know, we, we had so many discussions about how these things would move and what they would look like, uh, and they got every reference I was, you know, giving them. Because I didn't want this movie to have that you know, over slick, too quickly moving yeah. creatures and things. I wanted it to feel special when the creatures showed up. and We wanted them to have weight to them. Yeah, and a sense of awe when you're watching them. Even the spaceship, same thing. Mm -hmm. We tried to give everything some weight. And, um, and not, you know, it was funny. Like early on when we were designing effect shots, you know, I, I would really kind of have them make them a little cleaner. You know, sometimes people, we would add like light, light flares and all these other things. And it's just, it, it, it just seemed to get away from what the aesthetic we wanted. We, it was a very specific aesthetic. We wanted everything clean, easy to follow, um, and have, have weight. Mm -hmm. Well, you definitely achieved that. And I think that's one of the things I really like is that you did make it cleaner, whereas, yeah, you could have had, like, smoke surrounding a ship as it enters into the screen or something like that, or gone nutso with light flares, sun flares. But yeah, the yeah fact... we literally avoided that. And also, like, one thing I was against was, like, any camera move that would seem, like, too CG enhanced. Like, I mean, it had to look like if you just had a camera in space positioned there. If you look at a lot of modern movies, uh, you know, they'll tend to, like, do these weird spirals and flying all over the yeah. place. And it's just a move that just takes you out of the movie because it's something that could only be accomplished through CG, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Where if you film your CG as if you were just standing there with a camera filming it, it'll feel more convincing. Stripping it back is also very evident in Anthony Pierce's production design, like the interiors of the ships. We're yeah. not all over a ship and watching 10 different floors within a ship. We're, yeah. we're in one, <laughs> we're in quote unquote the cockpit area. Yep. Or one other area. And that's it. You keep yeah. it simple. But it also yep. then lets us 
focus on the story, which Anna Heat, that's where Jackie is so key in yeah. scenes with Kip and Taylor in that cockpit area and in aiding them and filling the gap and coming up with ideas. And it's like, yeah. I'll fly this. Yeah, I can do this. And <laughs> we really get to hone in on the characters rather than take notice of everything else in the room. Absolutely. Joan Edder did a fantastic job writing all the characters. And, and I feel like, um, especially for a low-budget movie, if you don't care about the characters, you're not going to watch it all the way through. Yeah. yeah. You know? Hey, for a big-budget movie, if I don't care about the characters, I'm not going to... Well, no, I'll watch it all the way through anyway. I have never not watched a movie all the way through the credits. I can say that in in total honesty. I have never not watched a movie all the way through. No, we will watch them all the way through. Although there have been times we passed out. By, by the time we get there, well, I'm I'm with you there, Garrow. There are some times, and then it's done, and I just shake my head and I think, who was crazy enough to give them money to make this? You know, Gato is is such a movie junkie. He will watch anything. Oh yeah, but I. A certain threshold, I will walk out. But if, <laughs> but if the acting is great and I care about the characters, I will stay, you know? And I wanted to make sure, as, you know, as far as my character goes, that she was interesting enough, relatable enough, and, and um, warm enough to keep the audience's attention. We very much have that here. And then, of course, you give us a lot of comedy that comes from, I have to say, Sadie Katz is so over the top as Elnora. Yes. <laughs> we were so happy with her performance. I mean, it was so on the whole way through the movie. And and, and it was hard for her because she shot all of her stuff in one day. Wow. But, like... You know, it's not like we were playing opposite her or off of each other. But she, um, because she worked with God on automation, I think there was a, a big level of trust between them. And um, she's great at following directions. So she did a fantastic job. She had me in stitches. I was just <laughs> laughing because as yeah, she... No, and, and, her... it was, and, and she's so good. I mean, you know, and she's funny, but there's also moments where, you know, there is just a little bit of... Uh, you know, I mean, I don't want to give away anything in the plot, but there is a moment where something happens and her character is kind of hurt by it. But then, but then the evil part of her yeah. just takes over, you know? It's just... I really love that you have, little sequence she, between her and Perret, you know? And she, it's funny, because, like, her and Perret, they never were together really on the set. They just... Uh, Michael did come down to the set uh, the first day. He wasn't scheduled to film that day, but he just came down to see how things were and stuff, and he met with Sadie, and they kind of figured out sort of what their interplay would be. And I think he encouraged her to go big. Yeah, mm -hmm. he did, he did. <laughs> well, she very much gave me, like, a soap opera vibe with some yeah. of these characters that, in one minute, they're, like, on General Hospital, you've got Mara West as Ava Jerome, who one minute, she's the most evil, vile person, and the next minute, she's a loving mother. But then suddenly she snaps and she goes back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Sadie... Ver think, oh, maybe this character ain't... Oh, no, they yeah. are bad. <laughs> Sadie very much plays Elnor, Elnora the way a lot of the soap, the soap opera villains are. Possibly there's redemptive qualities there, but then, ah, no, not going to oh, happen. No, we definitely gave her the dar full Darth Vader treatment. But yeah. I love how all the characters are very layered. And yes. And each actor did a fantastic job. 
saying the subtext and everything, you know? Yeah. This is where your casting is so key with this film because if you didn't have the right actors who could embrace and bring those layers to the surface such as Tyler Gallant as Wade he very yeah. easily could have been one note yes but uh, he's he, not. He, he really enjoyed playing that part because you know as as you know as someone who watched it there was a lot to play with in that character yes. I mean and uh yeah we definitely wanted him to be you know, he, he's sort of in the background at the beginning, and if you watch him, you'll notice he's, like, giving lots of these looks and stuff that kind of give some hints of where we might be going with his character. Um, and uh, and then, of course, he bonds with Sarah, and we start to like him a little more as time goes on. And, uh, yeah, I'll just leave it there. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, he, it was a fun character for him. All of the characters here, and, and nobody, no character, be it a creature or a person or whatever, none are superfluous or extraneous to the story. You utilize all of them very well, integrating them into the story. Yeah, thank you. And, and, and you know, you got to do that in, in a low-budget movie like this. I mean, look, you should do it with all movies, yeah. you know? But especially when you only got so much time to tell your story, so many days to film, you know, everything's got to count. There is nothing that's going to be a waste of time. You know, if you're doing it right, that's the way it's going to be. You, how do you even approach this? Once, you know, you've got Joe's script in hand, you've had this brilliant idea, you've worked with Joe, Joe's got this fun script. How do you then even approach this from a directorial standpoint? Because Knowing that you have things like these great creatures, like sandworms, like Manx, these things that you know you're going to show going to want to showcase but do you stop and think okay are we going to be able to do it or do we need to change i'm curious how you approach this from a directorial standpoint to achieve this vision there was there was um you know a lot of pre-planning uh we did take our time figuring out a lot of this stuff um and joe was very instrumental in helping schedule because his mind is so good with that sort of thing. I mean, I knew what we were capable of doing visually, but it was a matter of, like, how can we schedule all these different parts so we could film it all within the time frame we had because every set had to be, like, all the scenes inside of Kip's ship would have to be shot first because that area where we had that set would be later rebuilt and turned mm -hmm. into the bad guy's ship. So everything kind of is shot out of order and based around, you know, which set you're going to need when and everything. And as far as the special effects go, it was all sort of, you know, we, yeah, it, a lot of those were storyboarded and uh, just sort of pre-planned and, you know, and, and also like we had to pick models and figure out which models we were going to use and then those things would determine you know what sort of practical effects we would need we had jeff farley build things i mean we had him build like the alien head you know mm -hmm. when the mask comes off and you reveal that and uh we had the arms to another creature built so that it could be trying to grab uh taylor and um and uh wade later can i also say why while Gato has a clear vision when he's on set he also trusts his actors and gives them room to be creative um, and Joe was on set as well as the writer, and, and sometimes that can get kind of sticky, but he was so um, 
free in allowing the actors to play with the dialogue. We did some improv, and Gato trusts his actors to bring that special something, and that gave us room to play off of each other and improv a little bit, and I think it made for a warmer set, and some funny things came out of it, and if um, something wasn't working, we as the actors would work together to make it work. It was a very collaborative effort, and, and Gatto is fantastic in giving his actors room to do that. Like that, don't touch that sequence. That was something we just came up with on the set, and then of course we made it tie into the ending. You know, it was it was like a cute bit. You know, that helped show sort of a building relationship there between Michael and Annie's yeah, yeah. character. Yeah. Now, how difficult was it to cast this film? Well, it, 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 just like you know, in autumn when we did automation we knew a lot of the actors that we were going to use on that film right away. So the parts were kind of written for the actors. Uh, that was for a lot of them. And, um, and, and I thought it worked out great. So it, it was a very similar situation here. Um, when Jeff Miller uh, approached me about doing a sci-fi movie and he wanted to work with Michael Pere, we knew, me and Joe, that what we were going to write was going to involve Michael Pere, we knew uh, Sarah French really well. She helped uh, instigate this whole thing too, and uh, she, you know, she knows Joe very well. Their boyfriend, girlfriend, and and you know, she, uh, you know, I, I knew I wanted to work with her because we worked with her in automation. So we knew she was going to play Taylor, and we knew Anahit was going to play Jackie. And uh, I still remember conversations with Joe. Like, I think we're going to be great. Like, with, with these three as our sort of central three, we're going to be fine for all these, like, big dialogue scenes and everything. Because we knew, you know, all of them were pros, and they were all going to be great. And then uh, uh, Tyler Gallant, uh, Sarah worked with him several times before, and we knew that they had a level of trust for fight scenes and stuff that we would be able to utilize. So Tyler was going to play Wade all the time. And uh, and Jed was always going to play Manx. That role was written for for him. So, uh, yeah, I think, and then, yeah, pretty much everyone, you know, I think Rachel was the one who was sort of the find later because, you know, we originally had someone else who was going to be playing that part and then they weren't going to be available. But at the time when I met with Tyler's agent, she uh, mentioned uh, Rachel, and she showed me a video of Rachel at a Comic-Con just beating up another girl. It was like they were doing a play fight or something, and it was amazing. And I'm like, man, I'd love to work with her. And then when we had this opportunity, this role, I mean, she came in, and she was amazing and just totally into it. It was great. And uh, How did Olivier join us? Olivier was like our other like above the line star, you know. Mm-hmm. We we had we had enough to get one more person and we were trying to find someone to play that bad guy part was always written to be the other sort of, you know, semi lead, you know, bad sure. guy or star, you know. And uh he's the one who we were able to find and he was excited about the project and he came on board and even brought some of his fight talents to the film and you know, his sense of choreography he helped us choreograph one of the fights. So uh, he was great. Between the two girls, right? Yep, the one between the two girls, yeah. The fight between the, two, between the girls is great. brought up something really important here is the dialogue because you have some lengthy dialogue scenes 
So yeah. that begs the question of how much rehearsal time, and because it is so action heavy as well, with practical, not CGI acts, you know, action, but practical action. How much rehearsal time did you have built in here? We really didn't have much. Yeah, I don't think we had any like real rehearsal time. I mean, for for some of the action, like Tyler and Sarah, we went to the Las Vegas stunt school and mm -hmm. we worked out some of the stuff there, and they would work out together and do some of the choreography. Um, but but in terms of performance, it was more just some conversations we had, and then on set, yeah. Yeah, we, we, you know, because, you know, Michael's a working actor. He's yeah. constantly working. So it's like, you know, we, we, you know, it's not like there's a lot of time to sit back and like say, hey, let's get together for a lengthy, you know, rehearsal period. But he's such a pro. Right. You know, it, you know, there was there was some downtime on the set where he and Anahit or Sarah we could work together and run lines. Bit, yeah. But, but it's funny just when you write the parts, you know, for certain actors, how, it, just how, it just fit. I mean, yeah, when when Sarah and Michael were together, they instantly bonded and became like a father and daughter. She was calling him dad on the set all the time. It was great. Even during lunch. Yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. sweet. Now, you're also editing this film, Garo. So <laughs> were you oh. editing as you went? Did you wait till you had all the footage and then sit down to edit? What was that process like for you? Because I know some directors, when they also are the editors and producers, they will sometimes uh, edit during shooting. Sometimes they will wait. And then sometimes it's like everything that I shot, I'm including. Yeah, so basically 
himself in his office and work for eight hours, <laughs> calm me down. We'd go over the scene and I'd comment on what worked and what didn't and how we can short it and make it tighter and all this kind of stuff. And then uh, once his eight-hour day was over, he'd, he'd do his trailer work. <laughs> oh, my God. He worked like 20 hours a day? Yep. Oh, my God. Well, I would be remiss not to ask you about your music. Um, oh, because wow. the music is a Thank very... You. I mean, Joel Christian yeah. Goffin's incredible, isn't he? Absolutely wonderful. And so perfect for this film. We get the vibe and the essence. We hear the drama. We don't get the cheesiness that one might expect. Yeah, it's, it's a big score. I told him, you know... He's one of the first people I talked to when we decided to do this film because I loved his he score. He did music for automation yeah, too. Yeah, and it was great. And when I told him about this, because when he did automation, he only had four weeks. I called him. This is about a year before we even began filming, like a year and a half. Uh -huh. I said, "We're going to do a space epic." You know, I want music that sounds like Elmer Bernstein meets, you know, <laughs> James Horner or John John Williams. And he's like, "Okay." <laughs> you know, and then and then a couple hours later, he texted me a piece of music and it had this like epic theme and I'm like that's the music and I was carrying around that music when we'd have our meetings saying here's this is what the score is going to sound like and it was this it was that big march that you hear at the beginning when mm -hmm. they fly off into space after the opening action scene and uh yeah I had him layer that theme throughout and uh we we worked together a lot on that because again I'm very big on themes every character has a theme mm -hmm. in the movie if you notice, a lot of modern movies don't use themes that much. Yeah, it, it always like disappoints me when we don't have character motifs. Exactly, and this movie had that, and I, I warmly embrace it. I, I don't know where people got the idea that that's a cheesy thing, because people like that, you know, but somehow they just don't do it in movies anymore, you know? I'd... They bury the theme, you know, in sound effects and noise. Um, but I really wanted... You know, bringing, you know, you, when you talked about character, it's not just the, you know, the casting, it's not just what's written on the page, all of these things are important, but it was also the costumes, you mm -hmm. know, and then it was the music. All those elements together is what makes everyone a character in this movie. And, uh, and the fact that, you know, Joel was able to create this big sounding orchestral sounding score, you know, it, it also elevates the movie. I mm -hmm. mean, we're, you know, look, we, we have a lot of effects in our movie, um, and I told them, like, you got to score it like this is ILM. This is yeah. a major motion picture, you know? Even if the effects are not quite up to that, we're going to pretend it is, you know? And that's, and that's what he did, and it's incredible. Well, it makes it very full-bodied when you're yeah, watching it and you experience it. So, because so often in a lower-budget sci-fi or, hor or even horror film, you're going to get a tinny-sounding score. Yeah, it's yeah, going to no, be typical. I didn't to sound like that, you know? No, this... <laughs> <wanted> it big. <laughs> yeah, this truly, truly harkens to, you know, like a Bernard Herrmann, Max Steiner kind of full-bodied musical accompaniment. Absolutely, and those names did come up at times, so yes. <laughs> you know... I <laughs> imagination, but it was funny to watch him work with Joel because I'd be upstairs and I'd be hearing Kara going, No, bigger! Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> like, he knew what kind of drive he wanted the music to have, and just listening to him try to communicate with Joel, sometimes 
really want, you know, it was just really funny to watch, but um, they worked so well together. And that guy, I mean, he poured his heart and soul into oh, it. Oh, yeah, he did. He even worked on his anniversary, during his anniversary. He was so oh. tired. <laughs> right? Yeah, remember that one video he sent us? Like, he got up. He's like, oh, <laughs> poor guy was all drained and everything, but... Man, he just gave us a killer score, and he loves it. He loves the score. He loves the movie, and, you know, he, he you know, we're going to do more together for sure. Oh, I hope so. I hope yeah. so. Now, you talk about collaboration. Tell me about your, the collaboration of the two of you, because just talking with you, you guys are right on the same page. The energy, each one of you matches the other, so I'm curious about collaborating on a film oh and you're both producers of it as well yeah well we've been married 24 years and we knew each other for five years before that so we, we've known each other for a long time <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's a partnership in real sense of the word uh we run everything by each other we ask each other's opinion um is this working is this not how can we do it better um, when I'm doing projects, he's always supporting me, giving me the time and the space um, to do what I need to do. And when he's in the midst of a project, I come alongside and support him in any way that I can to make his life easier so that he can be creative and do what he needs to do. Um, it's, I mean, yeah, 24 years. <laughs> it's a long time. We know each other's strengths and weaknesses and... and um, we step in and help each other wherever we can, and Gato's always been my biggest fan and supporter, so it's been a blessing to be married to him. So now when you... I, I, I'm so delighted to have her on screen, you know, in these movies, and, uh, you, know, she, you know, I still remember when she showed me some of her old class projects at school, I didn't even know at the time that she did much acting. I knew she, like, was interested in doing film and TV, but, like, more from a behind-the-scenes... I have my bachelor's in film and television, and but I would always uh, participate in our class projects because we always needed actors, and sure. so I just throw myself in, but I never hung on to all the videos and stuff because I thought my career was going to be behind the camera, not in front. <laughs> um, but when he saw me that first time, he didn't even recognize that it was me. Yeah, well, I was just like, wow, he's like, you just seem like a completely different person. You're fantastic, you know, and... Uh... So I, I knew at some point we'd get her in some movies, and, uh, you know, here we are. Well, and, and I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I said, well, I definitely, I want to see a sequel for Space Wars, and I want to see more of Anna Heat and Jackie. <laughs> we, we, we are hoping to do lots more adventures with uh, Kip, Taylor, and Jackie. And uh, if, this, if we're blessed and this film does very well and people embrace the characters, you'll see more of them. Yeah, yeah. Now, if there's any financiers out there who are wanting to do bigger and better things, we're all open. Yep. You are you're, bigger and better. You're filling the void with this kind of film. I just had this conversation the other week with a filmmaker, with a producer. You know, that we've got the big films or we have the very, very, very low films, and we're missing that middle area, and this is perfect. But yes. not only economically but in terms of the genre, this yeah, you, fills you know, the it, void. I, yeah, I, pre I really appreciate you saying that. You know, it's funny. Remember, I remember when the Sci-Fi Channel first came on the air. Yeah. And I thought 
this was what they would be making, you know, like movies like this. Yeah. And never really did. It, it sort of became monster of the week movies. And again, I like a good monster movie. I'm not, I'm not uh, belittling those, but I'm just saying it's like that was all they did. It would just be, all right, new monster this week. There were very few intergalactic space adventures and that's you know like you said lost in space or the original star trek where you land on a planet you don't know what to find on there and cool stuff happens i mean that's the kind of movies that i grew up on and love and those are the ones that you watch over and over again you know you're not going to sit down and watch the the serialized you know eight hour epic over and over again as much as you can a 90 minute movie that you can get in and out of mm -hmm. and get a full adventure in you know you know what i'm saying yeah that's why i said this really reminds me of the 1930s 39 40 42 flash gordon yeah serials well, that's, that's exactly it i mean that's what we wanted you to experience you know yeah. And Adam's got more ideas <laughs> oh my so now that you have completed this film this epic this space epic what did each of you learn about yourself as filmmakers that you can now bring in and take forward into your next projects? You know, I can say this. Um, I, I believed very wholeheartedly that we could pull this movie off. However, believing in it and actually having done it are still two <laughs> different things. So now that we've done it and we were able to pull this off on the budget that we did and make a film that looked as good as it is, you know, the next step is, you know, yeah, can we do, we can do this. We can definitely do this. It would just be great to get a little more financing so we can make it even bigger and better. But we can definitely pull it off. We can make a spectacular you know, spectacle movie, you know, uh, within a budget range that's, you know, very reasonable. You don't, you don't need millions to do this. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm on the same page. Um, in the midst of it, sometimes it was like, are, are we going to be able to do this well? Mm -hmm. uh, it was a little scary at times. Like, I was like, I wish we had some more money, you know. <laughs> um, but having done it, um, we've discovered our core group almost, mm -hmm. and we're confident in that group. So we're able to, I'm confident that we can do this again and better. Yep. Well, I'm crossing my fingers and toes and eyeballs that you uh -huh. will, that you'll be able to put it, put something together and give me a sequel. I so want to see more of these adventures. I really do. Evil Ted's ready to build more cool props for us again, and, you know, I think we're, oh yeah, he, he built all those chairs and light panels and things like that that you see in the movie. Oh, and, very uh, lovely. Yeah, and we had uh, also Michael Sue's beautiful cinematography there, all those nice moving cameras, and, uh, you know, it, yeah, we, I think we created something special here. Yeah. I think you did. Well, I can't thank both of you enough. Cause for taking time to talk with me about Space Wars. I hope we get to do this again in the future. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Would love it. Thank you so oh, much, Debbie. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. And you go have a wonderful weekend. It's almost the weekend. Yay! <laughs> thank you. Same to you. Okay. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. Bye. And that is all the time that we have today, even though it's pre-recorded. I still ran over 
an hour. Uh, next week, we will have, I will be in studio, and we will have live filmmakers joining us next week. Uh, so, until then, check out Space Wars, The Quest for Deep Star, tomorrow, digitally. One True Loves is out digitally and on VOD right now. You won't be disappointed with either film. So, until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Mm -hmm.